couple members of the Randy Newman fandom discussing one of his songs at random, followed by another that's a cover. It's Wheel of Randy. Thanks, Matt. It's Wheel of Randy, everybody. The number one Randy Newman podcast in the world. Whether you're new to Randy's stuff, or only know the hits, or maybe you're a super fan, you're welcome here. Well, if you're a super fan, you're probably not going to get much out of this. I'm an enthusiastic young man who is sharing his enthusiasm about Randy. Young. I'm almost 50. Let's start the show. It's Wheel of Randy! Hey guys, just a quick content warning. We uh, are discussing some themes that include suicide today. That gives me an opportunity to remind you that the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline can be reached at one 800 273 8255. In a couple of years, that's going to be a number that's much easier to remember, but for now, 800-273-8255. Or as someone much wiser than me once said, I'll give you my phone number. If you worry, call me. I'll make you happy. Let's start the show. Spin the wheel of Randy. Folks, we got Hannah Aiken today. I'll give it away early. Hannah is my niece, full <laughs> disclosure. Uh, but but even if she wasn't, she would be a heck of a guest. Welcome, Hannah. Thank you so much, Uncle Dan. Hannah is uh, for 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 uh, of local interest. Hannah is an Oklahoma City University grad. That would have been what six seven years ago. Twenty thirteen. So yeah, seven years ago. Okay. Oh, crazy. So I don't know when the last time you came back was, but uh, the plaza just isn't the same anymore. It's I've not heard anymore. It's all gentrified. I know. I've heard things have have been changing like crazy out there. I was there. Uh, I was there last year for a very brief visit and saw some of the old places, but and went and visited the school, but didn't even recognize half of the surrounding area. It's pretty crazy. It, it is crazy. I think about uh, my wife had a, a little office down at Tenth and Hudson twenty years ago. I think she paid like a hundred fifty a month for this <laughs> apartment. Wow! Indiest place in town. Uh, but Hannah has has moved to to greener pastures. I guess you're you're, you're moved to the big city. That's right, New York City. Hannah is multiple threat, singer, actor, dancer, and now filmmaker. Yeah, learning learning about filmmaking and, and nurturing all of the other things at the same time. So uh, Hannah has, has started a very ambitious project that I'm I'm a big fan of called Sarah Teasdale Project. Is that the That's the, it. The Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, let's do an elevator pitch of that. First of all, tell people who Sarah Teasdale was and then tell us about this project. All right. So Sarah Teasdale was a poet uh, born in St. Louis uh, at the turn of the 20th century. And 
uh, she wrote lyrical lyric poetry. So um, mostly very short poems in verse that had to do with uh, the beauty of nature, a lot of love and heartbreak and a lot of themes on death. And uh, I just, I find her work really moving and really melancholy, but beautiful. Um, and about a year and a half ago, I picked up a collection of her poems and decided that I, that I was intrigued by them. And so I started memorizing my way through her collection uh, called Flame and Shadow and uh, filming myself performing those poems. And this was kind of with the aim to, to get myself on film, to like practice acting on camera. Um, which is a valuable skill for any actor, um, but also to learn the basics of filmmaking. And um, it started out where I was just trying to figure out where to put the camera and how to light a subject. And now it's turned into kind of a film history project as well. And I'm, I'm starting at the beginning of film history chronologically. And with each poem, I'm trying to film uh, in a specific genre of film history. So I, I, I've now done 10 or so poems uh, in this film history uh, section of the project. And I have finally made my way out of the silent era. But it's really, it's, it's been very fun to learn, as, uh, to learn about the different phases in film history. Uh, as someone who doesn't have a lot of film history background, I've enjoyed watching Okay, watching the free ones. I haven't, <laughs> haven't pitched into the Patreon yet, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Well, they are also on Instagram for oh, Laura. Nice. Yes, yes. So. But, you know, you have, you know, in the style of French avant-garde and then the style of German avant-garde. And then, then uh, and you're kind of selling yourself short when you talk about this being, being uh, you know, you know, learning learning the ropes of filmmaking because this is definitely uh, you're trying really really hard to stay true to the period uh, down to you know some some very intricate makeup work I've noticed on some of these. Thank you. Yeah, the German expressionism I think was one where the makeup was pretty intensive. <laughs> pretty intensive. <laughs> but how, how do you research something like that? I mean, how... So I actually. Um, I'm going to plug just this, this documentary I've been watching on Hulu. It's called uh, The Story of Film and Odyssey. And it's a 15-part documentary on the story of, of, about film history. And I'm watching my way through that documentary and learning about the genres through that. And then every film they mention in the documentary, I have been watching. Ooh. So it's a it's a very intensive film history experience, but it, it's been very enlightening and really fun. So it's mostly just watching a lot of movies. <laughs> so yeah, Sarah Teasdale herself, I, it, it it seems you know very evocative and 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 and, and sometimes dark, but but emotionally raw. Uh, I I I kind of get the feeling that that. Uh, that Sylvia Plath was influenced by her. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and if my timeline's wrong, let me know, but it seems like that, that, that she and Virginia Woolf would be contemporaries. Yeah, I think they're pretty much contemporaries. And, 
And I would agree that Sylvia Plath was probably deeply influenced. Different styles of writing, but still a lot of the that emotional rawness there. Yeah. Um, and of course, being women in the 20th century, not as many options for role models as as for men. So I bet they I bet they look to each other a lot. It seems like you know you know you're talking about the history of filmmaking here, but but also you're you're diving deep into poetry here, and I know that's been been a, a passion of yours for a long time. And you know, poetry is is a medium that that. I've struggled with for a long, long time. Uh, you know, starting this this podcast, I've, I've been talking to a lot of songwriters, which you know is is poetry adjacent, but it's definitely a, a, a different different gig. I'm trying to figure out, you know, how how relevant is is poetry culturally? What what can we what can we be gaining by 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 revisiting poetry right now? I think poetry is uh, well. For me, poetry has always been pretty significant as a means of of es- almost escaping into something simpler or something quieter or like I think the world is really busy and crazy right now and then but then you so for example, on the MTA, the New York public transit system, um, everybody's running around like crazy, but on the walls of the trains there are poetry in motion signs. So, so on the walls of the train, you have poems that, have, that the MTA, I guess, uh, decides should go on the walls of the train. And so I'm on this train, you know, commuting to whatever busy life thing I have. But then if I look on the wall and I see this poem, then for one moment, I, I've kind of transcended everything that's stressing me out. And I, I can look to something that condenses everything and and makes it understandable and beautiful. So I that was I don't know if that was convoluted, but I think for me it's nice to see something that makes sense of of the madness. Do you do you find do you find it a, do you find that the poem speaks differently to you uh when it's the written page versus a, a spoken word? Can you do you you pick things up in a poem when, 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 it, when it's an audio experience that you didn't notice when it was on the page? Yeah, well, it kind of depends, because if you're reading it, then it's all, it's only your mind interpreting it from the page. If you're listening to it, then you are suddenly associating someone else's voice and someone else's, uh, how they emphasize the poem. And if it's, you know, you would hear a poem read by an old gravelly voiced man very differently than you would hear it from a young woman. So for me, I guess I, I particularly like reading poems uh, to, for myself because it helps me tap into whatever I would immediately emotionally tap into. Whereas if somebody else is reading it, then I it adds another character and then suddenly it's not as personal. Yeah. You know, I, I think about, you know, I'm, I'm a big Langston Hughes guy uh-huh. and, you know, I, I always enjoyed him reading him, but once I found, uh, once I found his spoken word albums and heard it in his voice, that, that, that gave, that gave a whole, whole new dimension. Did I ever give you a copy of that album, Weary Blues? 
I don't think so. Okay, it's it's a Langston Hughes uh, album that he did with uh, with Charles Mingus. So you know, it's jazz royalty and poetry royalty on 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 this album together. Yeah, cool. Basically, Langston Hughes reading his greatest hits to 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 music, um, but it was it was so good to hear um, hear his voice, hear what he wanted. Uh, what words he wanted influenced. Yeah, and and that's true. I because I I was thinking as I was talking about how I typically prefer reading a poem to myself. In my head, I was thinking unless the poet is reading it themselves. Yes. Because I I have some recordings of Sylvia Plath reading her poetry, and it's it feels really profound to listen to. So I'd assume that's the same experience with this Langston Hughes collection. So do we have any clue about Sarah T. Soil's voice? I mean, I realize the technology isn't quite there. Do you have any? I haven't, I haven't heard anything of her voice. I haven't, I haven't really gone scouting for it, but um, just in my basic research of her, I haven't, haven't found anything. Well, St. Louis turn of the century, that was an exciting city. I mean, yeah. Everything was happening in St. Louis back then. So yeah. It's, it could could really be from from any any I, I, you couldn't guess an accent from just St. Louis nineteen hundred. Right, right. Um, let me ask uh, if you're comfortable talking about this. There is a lot of um, there are a lot of suicidal themes in in her in her poems, and, mm-hmm. and from my reading, apparently she did take her life. Yeah. Um, how 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 do you how do you reconcile that? How do you um, does that influence you when when you're performing? And and how and you're not a mental health professional here, but but what advice do you have to someone who who, who shares in that despair uh, in, in in this art that we're experiencing? Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, it it would be hard for me to speak to to any advice I might have, because I know everyone's experiences are often very different. And, but, for, but for me, in looking at these female writers, most of my female writer favorites uh, either did take their own lives or spoke about that, um, about maybe wanting to in, it, pretty extensively in their own work. So you, you take Virginia Woolf, Sylvia Plath, Sarah Teasdale, um, even Dorothy Parker, who who did not take her life, did. It was a pretty common theme. So I don't know if it was just something that female writers, uh, I'd, in pushing the envelope of their own art, felt like wanted to talk about more in their work. Or I'm not sure. I don't. But I but I know that Sarah Teasdale. Uh, with her poetry really does delve into a lot of the despair she felt. And I think it was uh, helpful to write about it. I mean, I don't know, but it it is an interest. It is interesting to see the theme stretch from, from through so many female authors in the last century. I hate to to go back to my experience here, but that's all I can really speak of. Uh, Langston Hughes wrote about it often, but it was always a joke to him. It was was always very tongue-in-cheek, but it it was also, you know, you could tell it always hung over him. Yeah. So, you know, it's... 
Oh, part of that's just being sensitive artists. It's the burden we bear, I guess. But I, guess. I don't know. I, I don't know. There is something to be said, I think, for artists, for people who are, who go into the arts. We are so often tapped into some of that despair and some of that melancholia and also have a more, have, feel more freedom to discuss it than someone who's not in the arts might. That's right. I don't know. Uh, have you ever read Touched by Fire by no. uh, Kay Jamison? She is a, uh, uh, she's a, a, a doctor that specializes in bipolar and has written several, you know, I, one personal memoir about bipolar, but, but several uh, scholarly books on it. But mm -hmm. Touched by Fire is, is, her, her, uh, is her book that talks about that intersection, how, mm -hmm. how the that in, in, some way, in some ways ha having that, that struggle gives people an artistic freedom that other people would be hesitant to express. Oh, interesting. So, interesting. And she goes from Beethoven all the way to present day. So it's, it, it's, it, it's, it's a good read. So the project itself. Yes. Let's plug the Patreon. How can people get hold of that? Yes. Okay. So you can find me at www.patreon.com slash the Sarah Teasdale project. And so that's where you can see the full length videos without any breaks. And there are a bunch of free ones available and also some that you would to see them, you need to subscribe, but you can also uh, find my Instagram at, at the Sarah Teasdale project and all of the videos are up there. The only problem with Instagram is that some of the longer ones they chop up uh, into like little sections instead oh. of being able to watch the whole thing all the way through. So, so. what's the long-term plan? Do you see this being a, a one woman stage show at some point? For now, it's just, I still, so the project as a whole is 92 poems long okay. and I just, finished 48 poems. So for now, um, I'm just working my way still through the history and through the poems and just learning and growing and exploring and seeing how I wind up at 92 poems as I don't know if they're what the long game is after that. Um, but it's for now, already kind of a long game. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's been a year and a half since I started, and I am predicting it'll probably take another year and a half to finish. Um, I, does she have you know, an estate or living relatives or, or anyone that... that you know, I've been, I've been amazed at trying to find Sarah Teasdale estate and Sarah Teasdale society things, because... You know, like I love Charlotte Bronte, and of course there's the Bronte Society, and I love, you know, I love a number of amazing authors, and I can't find a lot of, I can't find anything society-based or estate-wise with the Sarah Teasdale Project. There's, there's more to be, there's, there's more researching to be done, certainly, but. Um, yeah, snoop around St. Louis for a few days, and I bet you'll find something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, well, I'm so excited about it. it it's, it's, it's a beautiful beautifully done the project and, and I'm, I admire I admire the ambition and I'm so glad that, that, that you're doing something that you're so passionate about. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, it is Pixar month here on Will of Randy and uh, Wahoo. Wahoo, which 
some people would say, finally, a break from all the sad songs that we've been profiling. <laughs> oh, maybe not. Anna, what song have you brought for us to talk about today? We are going to talk about When She Loved Me, which is Randy's song from Toy Story 2. Oh, my goodness. Okay, folks, so take a couple minutes and, and pull that up. I assume it's the Sarah McLaughlin version that uh, it's in the movie, I think. Yes, I think yeah, that's right. That's right. So, so y'all take a few minutes and, and pull up When She Loved Me, and there's a link on our Twitter page. Uh, and once you do that, come back and uh, grab a hanky, and we will talk this through. God, Camptown Races, sing this song, doo-dah, doo-dah. And we're back. So when I asked you if you'd be willing to do this, I did not know that you had such a... a personal connection to this so this is one that you've done right yes yes this is one that i sang when i was in college uh studying musical theater and then now uh as a professional actor in the city i i still bring it into a lot of auditions that i that i go into and it's got it's got a, a it's got a range on it it's there's, got a range notes in the <laughs> oh my goodness it definitely goes high there it definitely yeah. does this is such a, a sad song in the saddest arc of the movie. Um, gosh, how old were you when this came out? I was eight. I was oh, eight. my God. 1999. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I was thinking when it, when it came out, I was the age that Emily, who throws away Jesse the doll, who is this this song is about I was about Emily's age That's so I I would would have been moved by this song because I empathized about the doll and not for necessarily any other big life things it just found it moving in the context of the film as a kid from from what I've I've read that this song has has uh it, it's got such versatility to it you know we have the original context of it um but you know it mm -hmm. it it, it is also often sung as, as, as bemoaning a lost romance. Uh, mm -hmm. just, there's just any number of, of, of ways you can do it. It's such a versatile song in that way. I, it just, this one gets me. How, how do you, I know. How do you keep from tearing up when you're performing this? Well, I, it, it's kind of hard, actually. It, it depends on the day, and it depends on what you're tapping into and when and why. So I, I think th this is a song used by a lot of actors, uh, and I think it's because it is so versatile and because you, it can speak to so many different uh, experiences in people's lives. So you could, be, you could sing it, and you could sing it about, you know, a, a lost romance or you could sing it about a lost friend or you could sing it about a dog. I mean, it just kind of depends on, on the day, but yeah, I was, I was <laughs> talking to a friend of mine before I came on here. I was like, I hope I can talk about this song without crying on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> crying is encouraged on this podcast, especially <laughs> oh, in Pixar mind. <laughs> um, I've got the lyrics in the chat if you if you want to to scroll oh. through. Um, one one stanza that uh, surprised me that, that I it, that had just kind of passed me by until I started really looking into this. Uh, toward the end, it says, "So the years went by, I stayed the same, but she began to drift away." 
I was left alone. Mm-hmm. And I, if if that's not if if that's not you know, relationship trouble, I don't know what is. Uh, just just this 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 whether you're actually staying the same or not. You know, in your eyes, you always stay the same. But but to, right. to see, you know to see your relationship with people change over years is it. I, and yeah, it's, it's brutal. And you're right, it is definitely relationship trauma. And whatever kind of relationship you want to be t- talking about or listening through the lens of. Yeah. I was thinking, I, I remember being struck by this song, even as a little kid. And I think, I can't think of a lot of songs that are sung by women that feel like love songs but are platonic about another female friend. Yeah. And, and I think that's a relationship that, that happens a lot that in between women that it's interesting to hear actually as a song. Cause I don't, I can't think of any other examples. I mean, it seems like in, in, in popular culture, uh, yeah, you don't see, you don't see friendships ending. You see, I, uh, you see, you know, occasionally a friend betraying a friend, uh, mm-hmm. but more often than not, you'll see, you know, sisterhood of traveling pants type stuff. Oh, we'll just stay together forever kind of thing. Right, so, right. So, but you're right. I mean, friendships come and go and yeah. it's hard, you know, whether whether it, it, it's romantic or not. Right. Um, and, you know, especially you know, at, at a young age when, when, you know, your friendships, your relationships are really helping define who you are to, to have that, that sudden change uh, can really. Right. Sh- right. I was reading on Wikipedia, so forgive me for the bad source oh, no, material, but no. I was reading, <laughs> we encourage Wikipedia on the Randy Newman podcast. <laughs> Everything is encouraged here. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Um, but I, I was reading that they weren't sure that it was that they wanted to use it in the film because or Randy Newman wasn't sure because he wasn't sure if it was appropriate for children, that children would understand it. And I think it actually turned out to be something that we all understood. I mean, we all got that part of the film. Yeah. And I, I think it was an important part of, I think it was an important part of the plot because uh, because you know so much i mean there's woody and buzz in this but but this is a movie about jesse right this is about her learning to belong and her learning to trust so i i think it's really important part of it yeah yeah, maybe they could have done done it as the same montage with 30 seconds of dialogue but but it doesn't feel out of place no no and it feels it it's so sad like it's so definitely tragic that it feels important like it i i think it's as a kid watching it it's not just like another phase of like something to overcome it's like oh this doll jesse went through something traumatic that we may all experience or may have all experienced already and she still is okay in the end you know huh yeah. But the, but the song itself is is kind of un, 
it it's sweet because it's clear that she cares about this friend and it's clear that there was real love there when she loved me but but it is also kind of like unforgivingly sad like it is over she is this person does no longer love her in a previous episode we we did uh i will go sailing no more from the first toy story where where buzz realizes that, that you know he's realizes his true nature and just just Pixar is not afraid to tell kids like it is. Yeah. So, oh my god. Get, get ready, toughen up, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's Ouch. It's gonna be all. It's not gonna be all bluebirds singing here. Yeah. When when did you say this came out? Ninety nine. Ninety nine, I think, is the right year. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, my my girl was you know young enough to get it, but not probably not old enough to appreciate just how sad this was. Yeah. Yeah. She uh she went as Jesse. Halloween uh I guess it would have been 2000 and it was the rainiest Halloween ever (laughs) she had an entire you know skein of red yarn on her that was soaking wet it must have weighed 40 pounds oh my gosh poor thing (laughs) so she understands Jessie's stroke (laughs) I hope she sang the song as she went trick-or-treating drenched in her costume (laughs) she was was a good sport of (laughs) Any other lines on this that really stand out to you? I mean, it's just all so per- it's all so perfect. It's all so poignant. Even I just opened my sheet music and just looking down, uh, and when she was sad, I was there to dry her tears. And when she was happy, so was I. I was there to dry her tears. That, that's intentionally an active verb there. Yeah. Which is funny to do for for for, for a toy. That, you know, at the same time, you know, sometimes that's what it takes to get to feel better. You know, whether it's a dog or a, or, or, or a doll or what have you, that, that, that they are actively there to dry the tears. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, as a little, I formed very strong relationships with many stuffed animals, to, which to this day I've not gotten rid of because that there does form a bond between a little kid and their toys. Yeah. Yeah, you know this. The audience doesn't. You know, we I had a house fire this summer, and so we have have thrown away a lot of stuff. And I'm like, okay, kids, oh. I hope you're really okay with. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, but at the same time, you know, when it comes to stuff that I held on to from from when I was a kid, yeah, not so much anymore. It's like, okay, I. I can compartmentalize this. I can, I can think back on it fondly when I have to. Um, yeah. I don't know. Let me pull something up real quick here. Okay. I had to look it up. I had. I. I knew that Randy did not win an Oscar for this song, but I couldn't remember what beat it. So I, I went back and looked it up, and this lost to uh, another Disney. Uh, number uh lost to you'll be in my heart from tarzan and i'm like okay do we approve this decision or not i know i i rather like you'll be in my heart but there's something so poignant and simple and lovely about when she loved me that 
that for me as a me personally as a listener i'm more moved by by when she loved me i agree um oh the other option that year was blame canada from the south park movie so <laughs> really really did the gamut there in 90 <laughs> all right so wow and i see the wheel coming the wheel wheel folks you can play the our home game and go to twitter wheel of randy and go to our pinned tweet and you can spin the wheel too do you see that spinning in front of i see the wheel all right hundred songs we took oh. most of the good ones we took out the racist ones and this is what's <laughs> left. so it's time to spin the wheel Spin the wheel, spin the wheel, spin the wheel of Randy. This is exciting. Stop. (laughs) We've landed on I'll Be Home. Do you know this song? I don't know this one. Okay, well, you're in for a treat, folks. Uh, You can, can pull up I'll Be Home yourself. It is off the album Little Criminals. And once you listen to that, uh, Hannah and I are going to listen to it real quick, and we will be right back. Bet my money on a bobtown rag all the doodah day. And we are back. Okay, that was All Be Home. First impressions. That was awfully nice. I mean, I, I liked that he, that the lyrics are calm and steady and reassuring and going right along with that is this steady dun 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 da 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 dun da beat that goes with it it's kind of that consistency that, that he's promising in the song isn't it yeah. yeah yeah exactly this kind of bookmarks nicely with it seems like the wheel always picks something that contrasts the first <laughs> Yeah, it's like we've we've got uh, the abandoned doll, and then we've got the the constant love, the consistent love. Yeah, so. and but t- tied hand in hand, you know, he says, you know, go wander and roam, and when you come back, I'll be waiting for you. You know, that was, you know, I think Jesse kept that attitude for a while at least until she, yeah until she gave up, um, but. But yeah, that's that that that's part of it. That 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 consistency and that that being there for people no matter what. Yeah, he's he's great because he has these really heartbreaking songs, and then he's also got these songs like "I'll Be Home" and "You've Got a Friend in Me" that are these kind of like reassuring reassurances of of friendship. It's it's very positive even when he's got a bunch of very sad stuff too it's nice this i this is one of his earliest songs um Hmm. he waited until like album five or six to to do it but this was one back when he was he wasn't exactly you know brill building but he was writing for a lot of other people in in the mid 60s and so this was was one that he had pitched to a lot of people. So I always thought it was interesting that he waited this long to put it on a record. Um, yeah. But, you know, he does that sometimes. Like, you know, Feels Like Home, he wrote in the 90s, but he didn't put on a record until like 2010. 
Oh, really? Was that when he did Faust? Was that yeah. Faust? Just Like Home was Bonnie Raitt's song from mm -hmm. Faust. Uh, and so he did it himself, you know, like 15 years later. Gotcha. So he waits for this. I also love how there's like almost no range on this, maybe half an octave. Yeah. <laughs> when Which when I... you're for someone else, they'll make you hit the notes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it also does kind of play into that theme of consistency, how, you know, if he was, like, going up into the rafters and then going really low, it wouldn't have the same effect of just being smooth and steady and ongoing and, and than he would with just kind of this quieter, calmer range. Hey, let, me, let me play you something, because he, he did a very wise thing when he put this when he put this on a uh, studio album, he, he lowered it a little bit. Let me play you his original performance of this uh, that's on an early live album of it, of his. Uh, and you'll, you'll see it's a completely different feel here. We'll play oh, that. interesting. Okay. So see, that's just a completely different feel. Yeah, you're right. It is higher and it's got... It's um, it's like uh, I don't know. Having it lowered later in the first one that we listened to d does give it a sense of calm that even the higher range doesn't. To to me, I think. Yeah. It's I... sort of like uh, I was I was thinking when I was listening to it that it's it feels like listening sort of to um, Joni Mitchell when she sings both sides now in the 70s and then yeah. listening to Joni Mitchell sing both sides now in the 2000s. Right. And, uh, uh, and you know, Leonard Cohen did the same thing. He dropped everything in octave when he yeah. was an older man. And, you know, it, it gives it a different feel. Uh, but, but yeah, but yeah, that, that, that both sides now album, if you didn't know better, you'd think it was a different singer. Yeah, completely, yeah. completely. Not just vocally, but in in feel too, in aesthetic. You watch these musicians grow up and change and learn and get sadder, and you know, and it shows. I think in their music, not necessarily sadder in a bad way, but just kind of wiser, you know. Yeah. All right. So, good job, Wheel. Good job, Wheel. Now, it's time for this week's cover. And there's only one choice for this week's cover when we're talking I'll Be Home. I think this is the third time I've pulled something from this album from Nilsson Sings Newman. But Harry Nilsson's version of I'll Be Home is, is just lovely. Let, let's take a minute and listen to this. All right. How interesting. When, when they put this album together, um, Randy said... Uh, Harry Nilsson brings a, a dimension to my songs that I don't, uh, that dimension being the ability to hold a note. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've always loved Harry Nilsson's voice. It was so pure and so, there's almost like just this innocence to it that's so nice. And then you add it to this really sweet song, but with this kind of strange gospel church background what a yeah. what a weird aesthetic it's very cool it was a weird choice at, at that and and then uh the the organ doing this kind of weird counter melody 
uh, throughout the second half of it. Yeah, I was thinking that that higher counter melody was almost like there's a level of like darkness to it that felt, at least to my ears, it felt a little, maybe it's just just from having heard Phantom of the Opera too many times, but but hearing that higher organ makes it maybe not darker, but heavier and more important than just this kind of like laid back, I'll be here yeah. sensitivity. Well, I, it, it seems like, you know, no matter, no matter where this podcast goes, it, it keeps coming back to Harry Nelson. So. <laughs> that seems fair. That seems fair. Who I've learned was super insecure about his voice. Really? Yeah. Huh. You know, I don't know a whole lot about him as an artist other than, or him as an artist or a person. I just really like his stuff that he re- did for Midnight Cowboy. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. But, yeah. um. Yeah, Nilsson Schmilson is the album that everyone says to to get. And, you know, that's got Lime and Coconut. And, you know, uh-huh. if the, the hits are on that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But uh, he, he really is a, a fascinating character. And, and this whole album, Nilsson Sings Newman, uh, with one exception, you can skip "Yellow Man." Not not the best song for him, okay. but uh, it's it's just a just a beautiful beautiful record. Hannah, thank you so much for coming. How can people learn more about what you're doing, and how can people get hold of you? Thank you so much for having me. You can you can find out what I'm up to at my website at www.hannahaken.com. That's H-A-N-N-A-H. E-A-K-I-N dot com. And then I'm also on Instagram at, at Hannah E. Aiken. So Hannah E. Aiken. Um, well, I am a big fan of you. I've been a big fan of you since you were a little baby, but just, <laughs> it's just, it's just such a thrill to see, to see you, you know, pursuing this and, 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 and being true to your art. And it's just, uh, couldn't be prouder. Thank you so much. That means a lot, Uncle Dan. All right. We will see y'all next week, everybody. Bye. Bye. Well, we did it. We got through another week here at Wheel of Randy. We are part of the Good Trash Media Network and are brought to you by Wade Engineering. Thanks to our guests today for sharing their time with us. Thanks to Matt Farley for our theme music. You can catch more of Matt's songs at moternmedia.com. That's M-O-T-E-R-N. Our artwork was designed by Brian Mays. And Brian can be reached on Facebook at Brian Mays Art. The background music you're hearing right now is Rock and Gravel by... Sid Valentine's Patent Leather Kids. And I'm using it because it's public domain. Speaking of public domain, the Camptown Races bumpers that you're hearing are sung by Tom Sharpling because he likes to make fun of that song being public domain. Technically, he could sue me, but Tom's a nice guy, I suppose. As I said, Wheel of Randy is brought to you by Wade Engineering. That is my day job. I'm a civil engineer licensed in Oklahoma and Texas, and I focus on water, wastewater, stormwater, and land development. Most of what I do, though, is water. 
I build computer models for water distribution systems, and towns and fire departments use that to figure out where their next line needs to go, where their next tower needs to go, and then when the fire department gets audited by, audited by the insurance people, they just show them my model to show, yes, our hydrants really work. It's a huge time saver. If you are a mayor or a fire chief, you know, we should really talk about how weight engineering can save you a lot of money. If you are a concerned citizen who's got the ear of a mayor or a council person, what I'd suggest you do, ask them what your town's ISO rating is. You want it to be a low number. You want it to be one or two, maybe three. If it's anything higher than three, then you guys need me because you're paying way too much for your homeowner's insurance. Wade Engineering can be reached at 405-426-7634. That's it for this week. See you next time. Bye. It's Wheel of Randy.